Welcome back to the Cherry Pick Podcast. Thank you for listening, recording this on December 17th, late at night with my boy NMZ. Great podcast. Hope you enjoy it. But first, the intro. Let's go. Welcome to the Cherry Pick Podcast, the newly and improved Cherry Pick Podcast. Thank you for coming back. We were previously the Hush Force Podcast, but moving to Cherry Pick Pod. Got my boy NMZ with me. We got a good lineup for you guys today. Got a few things we want to talk about. Shouldn't run over about 30, 40 minutes, but I'm excited for what we had to talk about for this podcast, just because a lot is going on in the NBA. The NBA preseason is sort of coming to an end. The season starts in what, four or five days? I don't really know, but um, things are happening and we're starting to see good things from rookies. We're starting to see good things from older guys. Uh, bad news from other 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 teams in the league. Gordon Hayward getting hurt and things like that. But overall, it's been a pretty good preseason. I, I'm enjoying myself. And specifically, we want to talk today. Lamelo Ball, the Charlotte Hornets, just played their game. Lamelo Ball finally scored. He finally proved he can score a little bit in the NBA. Um, and he he played pretty well. He dropped 18 points, shot seven to 17, went four nine from three, had five assists and two rebounds. Um, I like what I saw. What do you think? Yeah, the big thing there is the four for nine from three. Um, I think Lamella Ball is going to – this season, there's going to be a lot of teams going underneath his screens. Um, they're going to be daring him to shoot from the outside. Um, and he looks a little more comfortable. The game's coming to him. Um, he doesn't look as rushed. Um, I think this is his third game. So, you know, each and every game, he's looking more and more improved. Um, he's, you know, as we all know, he's a phenomenal passer, and he's kind of bringing the buzz back to Buzz City. So I really like what the Hornets are doing here. Um, and they've kind of given him that second unit for him to run. He's not starting, but he's coming in against second units. Um, he looks real comfortable. And if he shoots the ball, you know, at a good clip, I think, you know, this is going to be a really successful first year for him. And I think that would be the biggest key for him to uh, really, you know, turn some heads and maybe push for rookie of the year. Cause I think he's going to have the ball in his hands. He's going to get the touches. It's can he knock down the shots, get those points up, create, you know, some problems on the defense. And then that's going to open up his passing game. So that's what I really like. Um, I thought this was a big, uh, big step forward for him today. If you would have told me four or five years ago when Lamella Ball was in high school, when he was dropping 92 points in a game, when he was doing all this, if you would have told me he one he makes the NBA, I would have been shocked. But if you told me he makes the NBA, and the most suspect thing about his game is his shooting, I wouldn't have believed you. If if his passing is solid, if he's re, he can rebound, if he's six foot seven, if he has length, if you would have told me all that. And the thing we're suspect the most about is his scoring and shooting. I wouldn't have believed you, but that, that, that's how much he transformed his game within the last two to three years of playing uh, overseas basketball and uh, whatever else he did. Um, but now we just got to worry about his scoring. It, it, we're not really sure if he can be a consistent score in the league right away. His stats aren't going to jump out of the, ju- just jump out you uh, like in general all season long. Like it is, he's going to have Lonzo like numbers from his rookie year. He's not going to have, 15 to 20 points a game he'll maybe get like 10 to 15 and um, hopefully and get around the six or seven assists a, uh, a game but um yeah we're, he's not going to be a stat sheet stuffer at least for the first season and uh, I feel like that his people's expectations of what they expect of him right now is just way too high when it comes to like scoring averages shooting averages he's not going to be a good shooter he's not going to be a good scorer but if he can prove he can shoot the ball a little bit this season alone that's good news for Hornet fans. That's good news because he's got a, he's a great passer, great floor general, has great floor uh, vision, and um, hopefully he can just prove us wrong and actually be able to shoot the ball. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that's part of the you know the rookie growing pains. 
it takes time, you know, to get that jump shot down. It takes time to come along defensively. So there's going to be some struggles. Um, you know, the good thing is he's on a Hornets team that's not expected to win a lot of games. Um, they understand that it's a rebuild there. And I think uh, it's a bit of a transition period for LaMelo, especially with his shooting form. His mechanics, just like his brothers, have always been a bit weird. So I think as they kind of work on that with him in Charlotte, um, I think we're going to – I feel like in the second half of his rookie season, we're going to really see him take off. And come year two, I think LaMelo Ball is going to be an established point guard. And by then, I think the Hornets are going to probably look to move either Graham or Rozier and just kind of open up that, you know, starting position for him. I think he's the future of that franchise, and I think they understand that. And I like that they're taking their time and bringing bringing him along slowly. They're not rushing the process by any means. Uh, They're taking it slow, letting him start out with that second unit and letting the game just come to him. I don't want to overanalyze preseason basketball games but I, I tend to do it because it's all that's really going on um next I want to talk about Anthony Edwards he uh he had a great game tonight as well pretty much an identical stat line from LaMelo very close to it 17 points shot five of 15 three of eight from three I think three rebounds three assists he uh he he proved like he proved he can be a solid NBA player tonight I know it's a preseason game we get over our head about it Lonzo his rookie year dropped like 27 and a 27 point triple double in his third NBA game and has never done that since. I don't want to overanalyze things, but I think we've seen good things from Lamelo and Anthony Edwards. But the real question, I want to know who has the higher ceiling. What what, what do you think when it comes just to ceiling wise for an NBA career, Anthony Edwards versus Lamelo Ball? Who do you think has a higher one? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the first thing is that that makes that question a bit more difficult. Um, we didn't get to see Lamelo in uh you know division one college basketball he was playing overseas only played 12 games so it was a really smaller sample size and like you've said we've only seen them in preseason action and usually rookies have summer league they have a longer you know an extended training camp to kind of get up to speed so we're kind of working on a kind of a condensed time frame here and we're this is you know trying to project who's going to have the better overall career just off of you know two or three preseason games um, I'm going to go with LaMelo Ball personally, even though um, Anthony Edwards does have, you know, the prototypical shooting guard build, you know, he's more athletic. Um, I think I like LaMelo Ball's overall game for, it. I think he has a better feel for the game. Um, he's a cerebral, a cerebral passer, like we've mentioned. Um, and if his shot comes along, I'm not going to, I don't have too many question marks about LaMelo Ball. If he can stay healthy and kind of build on his frame. Um, I like where it's going for him. Uh, for Anthony Edwards, um, it's tough because I haven't seen many players develop in that Minnesota system. Um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is great, but how many other guys that they've bring in in that, you know, similar to Andrew Wiggins, let me use him as kind of my example. He came in as the number one overall pick. He sure he could score the ball, but you know, the other aspects of his game never came along. And for me, I see Anthony Edwards, you know, I'm scared that something might like that might happen to him too. I feel like Anthony Edwards scoring the ball will never be an issue for him, especially if he's given the opportunity. It's will the rest of the game come to him and I just think his feel for the game isn't as strong as LaMelo's. We, when we view Andrew Wiggins and his career, we think most people would refer to him maybe as a bust. And I think he's had a solid NBA career, maybe not a number one overall pick with who he's picked over in that, in that draft, like a better career than them. But if you, any NBA player would love to have a career that Andrew Wiggins has had. And to me, I feel like coming into the NBA, he had more promise than Anthony Edwards does right now. So, and plus he's in that Minnesota system that's known for not being that great. They're not going to win that many games. He doesn't have great leadership. And we we just don't really, I don't think 
he has a low floor, but I don't think his ceiling is super duper high, but he's going to have a solid NBA career. If he's a lot of people refer to him or just compare him to Andrew Wiggins. If he has an Andrew Wiggins type career, he should be fine with that. I know he's a number one overall pick, but I, I really just, I don't think his floor is that low with LaMelo ball though. I think his ceiling is really, really high all-star level point guard within the next 10 years. But I feel like his floor could be a lot, lot lower. We're not really sure if he has, I don't know, that drive to get him to that point, which I hope he does. I think he does. But yeah, I think he's not a player coming from nothing and and has that drive and just will to win and literally playing because he has to play. He has everything he wants right now. He's loaded. His family's been rich for the last five, six years. Um, it's really up to him if he wants to get in the gym and just get better every single day. I just don't know if he's going to have that edge that a player like Anthony Edwards might have. So, but he does with a talent and just skill wise, his ceiling is very, very high, but I think it's just ultimately up to him if he can make use of it. Yeah. You know, I agree with the, it's up to Anthony Edwards and LaMelo ball. I think there's a lot of onus on those guys and what makes this more interesting is neither guys has really joined a well-run organization. Um, Charlotte, you know, they've missed on a lot of draft picks. A lot of the guys MJ have taken, they haven't panned out. Um, and LaMelo ball is, you know, he probably has the most cachet out of anyone they've drafted over the last, you know, five or six years, probably since Kemba Walker. Um, and while I like Kemba Walker, uh, I think LaMelo ball ceiling actually might be higher than Kemba Walker. So I think LaMelo ball has, the upside to be the best draft pick, you know, Charlotte has taken in some years. And I, I wasn't high on the 2020 draft class to begin with, but I think Charlotte, uh, they might've hit a home run by taking LaMelo ball, especially considering who else was available and that they got him at three. Um, from what I heard, Minnesota was actually looking to move down in this draft. Um, they didn't, they didn't kind of view Anthony Edwards as a necessity for them going forward. They have Malik Beasley there. They have D'Angelo Russell. So I kind of fear that some of those, some of the skill sets they have in play are going to overlap a little bit. I'm not sure if, you know, three guards that I would consider scoring guards um, would equate to, you know, the ideal backcourt. I know they got Ricky Rubio, which I think was a good pickup for them because he's more of that playmaker type, but they've got three guys that I would consider more of the, uh, the off guard scoring type, you know, that mold. So it'll be interesting to see if Anthony Edwards gets enough touches to develop into the player he's, you know, he's supposed to be. And I feel like that it's that way with pretty much every NBA rookie. If they get enough minutes, if they get enough touches, if they just get enough actual playing time where they can develop into the player they're going to be anyways, no matter what, no matter how much you play, no matter if you get 30 minutes a game right now in your rookie year or 15 minutes a game, you're going to pan out probably to be the same exact player, just an extended period of time but Lamelo ball I do agree his ceiling is extremely high and I hope he hits it it's going to make the league a better place he could be an all-star he could be probably the best pick from this whole draft I'm not really high on the 2020 draft myself um, just not many big names we didn't really get to see a lot of college because the season got cut short so it's going to be in- interesting to see uh, moving on this that was a good topic to start off with moving on we want to talk about the biggest threat to the Los Angeles Lakers um not much introduction for this uh, for this point, but um, I, I have my opinions. It, it, it doesn't really – I wouldn't say it's a hot take. It, it's sort of who most people would take in, in the East at least. But I, I want to let you go first. You go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to – so 
I feel like a lot of people would lean Clippers on this one, and understandably, um, the Clippers have kind of built their team in a way uh, to key in on the Lakers. So they try to match them up, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, um, you know, they're, you know, some elite wing defenders for LeBron James. And I think while doing that, they've kind of overlooked the way they match up against all the other teams in the NBA. And that's why I think they fell short against the Nuggets. I think their team was well-constructed to match up against the Lakers, but not so much the rest of the conference. So for me, um, I actually like the, I like the Mavericks on this one. Uh, I think the Mavericks, um, they're, they're younger, sure, but I think Kristaps Porzingis is the type of big that you need um, to slow Anthony Davis down. And no one's really said it, but I think we're kind of coming into the Anthony Davis era. Um, this is going to be the era where teams are going to construct their teams strategically to match up against Anthony Davis. Um, you see the Utah Jazz adding Derek Favors, you know, getting big, getting another big behind Gobert. That's an Anthony Davis move to me. Uh, the Houston Rockets bringing in Christian Wood, a long athletic big man who can move his feet. To me, that's we got to match up with Anthony Davis after what took place in the conference semifinals. Um, the Clippers bringing Serge Ibaka. But out of all those guys, I think Chris Stapps brings the most, the most offensively and defensively if he is able to stay healthy and play to his, you know, his highest level. And he's also playing in, alongside another MVP level player in Luka. So I think they have the one-two punch to match up with LA. Um, they have enough offensive firepower to keep it interesting. Um, it's all about the defensive side of the ball, though. Can the Mavs defend? Um, I don't really like anyone's chances that much in the Western Conference, but if I have to pick one team, I'm going with the Mavs. Yeah, for sure. Um, in the West, I'll probably say Clippers. Mavs, I'm not sure if they have the depth or just in general, like anyone besides Luka and Kristaps, for me personally. I don't know if they have enough to actually go up against the Lakers, but I, I would agree Clippers in the West. I, I, I personally agree, like believe that if the Clippers made it to the Western Conference Finals, the Lakers would not have made it to the finals. I, I really, I, I'm sort of, and there's a small group of NBA fans that actually believe that, but I, I just feel like with everything set up, how they lost, they blew a 3-1 lead. They were actually rolling. Like it, it shocked even the Lakers themselves that they actually blew a 3-1 lead. And I know they were scared to probably play the Clippers more than they were the Nuggets in that series. So I would have said Clippers in the West. In the East, who I actually think is the biggest threat for the Lakers is the Nets, which uh, moves on to the next expectations that we're going to be talking about. But I feel like the Nets are built perfectly for the Lakers. Just watching them in the preseason, seeing their team, seeing the depth they have, I feel like they have everything to stop. Who do they have? DeAndre Jordan at center. He's a solid big man who can occasionally shut down Anthony Davis. There's no shutting down Anthony Davis. They're like The only person that can shut down Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis himself if he's having a bad shooting night. But DeAndre Jordan down low, guarding him. You got KD. You got Kyrie, obviously. Spencer Dinwiddie can always come in and hit big shots. He's he's a bucket. I, I really wouldn't count miscount him being an all-star this year. But um, if they're a one seed, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they had three all-stars this year. So when it comes to building a team to beat the Lakers in a regular season game or a playoff series in the finals, I feel like the Nets – from top to bottom, really has a very solid team. Who, who do they have? Joe Harris, a knockdown shooter, literally doesn't miss. Got KD, one of the greatest just shooters in general. And then Kyrie, who can hopefully can f- facilitate a little more this uh, this season. But, um, yeah, I'm going with the Nets. I'm going with the Nets. Yeah, just to kind of piggyback off that, I like the Nets too. 
Um, my main questions with the Nets aren't really on the floor. Um, you know, everyone you just mentioned, plus Jared Allen, another body to throw at AD. Um, Karis LeVert as well, you know, a creative guy, creative scorer who can catch it, make a play off the bounce. He's not just a spot-up shooter. Joe Harris, an elite marksman. So I do like the way their team is set up. My main questions are about, you know, Steve Nash is a rookie head coach, and then everything that comes off the court, the trade rumors, the media, all those things. And it's year one for the Nets. And usually it takes some time to get that chemistry down, get everything, you know, up to speed. So for me, my expectation is the Nets at least reach the conference finals. But, you know, the expectation, especially, you know, in the media capital like New York is it's championship or bust this year for that team. But uh, they've got to stay healthy. You know, they're top two players. Um, they've been they've been banged up recently. So we've got to see how they come back from their injuries. Um, there's a lot of questions, I think, off the court. But yeah, I agree. If the Nets can check off all those boxes and they come in and, you know, they're flowing and the chemistry's there and they're able to play their game, um, the Nets are dangerous. Um, they can spread you out and they've got multiple guys that can attack you off the dribble and create. So uh, the Lakers, who are an elite defensive team, would still have their hands very full with that Nets team. So I think that's every um, NBA fan's kind of dream matchup in the NBA Finals. I think we, I think all basketball fans want at least one more LeBron versus KD Finals. I think we all need it as fans. Yeah, we need it. We need to bring back – like everyone talked about uh, – sort of sidetracking right now. Everyone talked about they were getting tired of seeing Cavs Warriors every year in the finals. They were getting tired of seeing it. I would do anything to go watch the finals like that again. That was the last time it was just fun. I understand they had a bubble this year. It was very different. But even last year or the season prior with uh, Toronto, yeah, that was fun. But it, it didn't compare to those three seasons we had with the Cavs and Warriors back to back to back. Th- those were those were fun. But, um, yeah, going back to the Nets, I feel like Steve Nash being a rookie head coach, most NBA fans all over Twitter, everywhere are saying Steve Nash just – don't say anything. Just shut up, sit on the bench, let them. Literally, you got KD, Kyrie, you got all these players. They don't need coaching. I feel like that's the reason people believe they hired Steve Nash, to come in and just be quiet, which personally, that's the last thing they need. Like when you have Kyrie, KD, who's known for being uncoachable players, um, I, lo- I love them to death, but Steve Kerr came out to say he's not, KD's not a coachable player. He's, ke- he's Kevin Durant. You can't really coach him. Uh, Kyrie has had his problems last few years. I feel like just going out there and letting them do their thing halfway through the season, there's going to be drama. There's going to be stuff popping up. And uh, I I feel like they need a solid coach who's not going to be in the middle of them, but at least guide them to where they need to be. And Steve Nash, I don't know if he'll be that. I don't know if they have enough uh, like veteran leadership on that team. Yeah, they have Katie and Kyrie, but they're both players who straight up said, they're not great leaders. Katie will be the first to tell you. He said it in interviews prior that that Warriors team was not his team. Steph Curry was the leader of that team. And he said, I'm just not a leader. And um, I, I really don't know who's the leader on that Nets team. I really hope it's not Kyrie being the most, uh, not to offend anyone, emotional player in the NBA. But um, if they keep their head on straight, if they actually become a solid team and just don't blow up, I feel like they have the highest ceiling in the league. They can beat the Lakers. They're built to beat that team. They're built. To, they're an NBA champion team. And I really just, I hope it pans out because they're going to be fun to watch if it's Nets Lakers in that finals. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. You know, I think the one thing with Steve Nash, and I think you don't hire Steve Nash out of nowhere. This was definitely co-signed 
uh, by Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And I think Steve Nash, you know, they got Mike D'Antoni, and he, you know he's going to be focused on the offense. Jock Vaughn comes back, and he probably keys in on the defense. But the main thing Steve Nash is going to have to keep in check are managing egos and rotations, right? He's going to have to make sure that he's getting in the, you know, the proper lineups that can play off of one another. And can he manage the egos? That's the most important thing for the next season. Um, can KD, can Kyrie, can all those guys buy in? Um, you, you're going to have to run a little bit of isolation, let those guys do their thing, but you've got to keep Karis LeVert involved. you got to keep Spencer Dinwiddie involved. As you know, when you play basketball, if you don't touch the rock, you're not going to be as involved defensively. So my biggest question with the Nets is defense and fit. And I've said that a lot, but if they defend at a high level and it all comes together, they've got a real chance to be great. But those are my main concerns. I don't have any questions about them offensively. They have way too much talent, too much shooting, size, ball handling. They have all those things pitched at such a high level. I'm not really questioning um, their talent offensively. There's not, there's not even three, four, five NBA teams that have enough defensive talent to go out and check them. It's will they buy in, play defense? You know, will it all come together? Can Steve Nash manage the personalities, you know, and get them trending in the right direction? That's really it for that team. And then the East is theirs to take, and it should be a collision course with the Lakers. That's really what, sh- what it should be. The great thing about that Warriors team, there's a lot of great things about the Warriors team when they went on that run. And obviously they had KD, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. It was just a great team. But the great thing about it, KD, for the first time in his career, took a back seat a little bit. He was still the best player on that team but to an extent took a back seat and um, which ultimately was the reason he ended up leaving. But Draymond green being Draymond green, ripping him a new one constantly would get in his face, yell at him, which was ultimately the reason he left. He checked him. He's the first player in his whole career would actually check Kevin Durant. Um, they, they, I feel like they could communicate decently well until those last few months. But um, I don't know if there's a player on that Nets team that'll actually do it. And I really hope as a team, they can actually come together. I feel like they've they've talked about it a lot. They had to. Have. They 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 know the personalities they have on that team. They know exactly what they have to do. They just have to execute it. They're the best offensive team in this league, and I will be saying that the rest of the year. There's no one in the league that can actually stop them defensively, but it, it's really just up to them. And um, moving on from this topic, uh, lastly, we want to talk about who we think the best point guard in the league is right now. I, I'll let you lead the way for this one and I'll finish this off. But a lot of people have been asking this the last few weeks on Twitter and I, w- I want to talk about it. Okay. Before we get started though, I got to clear one thing up. Are we considering Luca a point guard? Yes or no? Oh, yes. And no, we'll, we'll, we'll say We'll say yes. We'll go first. Yes. And then if not. Okay. So if Luca's involved for me, it's kind of a one, a one B situation with him and Steph Curry. Um, if we're looking only at traditional point guards, I'm going to give Steph the narrow edge over Dame. I don't even think anyone else is in the discussion, by the way. It's those two for me. Um, both are, you know, outstanding leaders. Uh, both are, you know, very talented offensive players. You know, they shoot the lights out. Um, there's, there's legitimate concern on the defensive end. And, you know, they're not the biggest guys, most athletic guys. So they're limited, you know, to an extent on the defensive end. But what they bring to you offensively, you know, their value, um, their gravity, um, their ability to shoot, you know, coming off a screen, you've got to, you know, it's a high hedge or it's a trap. You can't really 
to use that drop coverage that, you know, is so commonly used in the NBA. So they really bend your defense. Uh, for me, the biggest difference, though, is Steph's ability to move off the basketball. Um, I think he might be the greatest ever, or at least on a short list with, you know, guys like Ray Allen, Rip Hamilton. Uh, and his ability to move up without the basketball is really what that Golden State Warriors offense lives off of. Guys get open looks off of that. And not to say Dame doesn't have gravity when he's moving without the ball. I just don't think it compares to Steph Curry. So if we, you know, classify Luka as more of a point forward, uh, to me it's Steph. But if we're going to keep Luka in the discussion, uh, I think Luka might not shoot the ball, you know, and score as efficiently as Steph, but he brings so much more to the game from, you know, a rebounding standpoint as a break starter. Uh, I think he's a bit of a bit, uh, he's a better facilitator because he's a little bit bigger. He, he can make all those passes, you know, out of the pick and roll that Steph can't necessarily see. So they're a little bit different. Um, but yeah, it just depends on how you classify Luca. But for me, Steph's the answer and Dame's a close second. Luca being a point guard or not, personally, I'm always going to ride with Steph. I have Steph as my number one. I feel like unless he's injured the last seven seasons, there has not been a better point guard in the league than Steph Curry. And I feel like going into this season, there is no better point guard than Steph Curry at the moment, even with Luka being considered a point guard. I have Luka close second, and then I have Dame. But Steph, I'm a big plus-minus guy. That's the stat I go and look at as soon as a game ends. I look at all the stats. I look at plus-minus. He has like the highest plus-minus within the last 10 seasons, including LeBron. He, he There's no player on the court, when he's on the court, that makes – his team better than Steph Curry, which um, you can fact check me on that. I'm like 80% sure that's right. But Steph Curry just makes his team better when he's on the court. Even if he's shooting one of 11 from three, 12 of 30 field goals, he, he's still making his team better when he's on the court. And there's not many players. I don't know how he does it. Um, there has to be a reason for it. He's not a big guy. He doesn't come in and just assert his dominance right away. But mostly, like you said, his off-ball movement is insane there's not another player who literally doesn't stop running the whole entire game which that's people that's why people a lot of people give a uh, hard and some flat uh some flag that's why chris paul left is because he passes it goes stand in the corner and just chills until he gets his ball uh, until he gets the ball back or he'll stand at the top of the key but steph curry does not stop running the whole entire game which um i think is very impressive luca if we're considering him a point guard i guess we have to he dribbles the ball up He's the primary ball handler. He's, uh, I guess, I don't know what he's listed at, but he's definitely a close second. I feel like he doesn't, he makes his team better, obviously, but I feel like there's games if he's having a very bad shooting game, if he's turning the ball over a lot, which he needs to lower that as well. I feel like there's games where he actually doesn't make his team that much better. But if he's doing classic Luka, if he has all those stats, if he, he's just dropping 50 point triple doubles. There's no other better play, better player in the league, but um, yeah, I'm rocking with Steph. I think I'll rock with Steph for the rest of the season as well. Yeah. You can't go wrong with Steph. Uh, that plus minus that you mentioned. Yeah. I saw something when he was, you know, leading the league six of the last seven years, something like that. And the one year he didn't get it, he was second, I think to Kyle Lowry. Uh, but Steph, yeah, I think um, you, you, you really nailed it right there when you said it. he's kind of the magic that makes them go. He's the engine of the Warriors offense. Um, I think his play style is so welcoming, meaning he doesn't force anybody else to adjust their game. Steph's play style, um, it fits next to anyone. Um, you never see, you know, they added so many different pieces over the years. Clay Thompson would still get his, 
you know, 20, 21 a night on his, you know, 15, 16 shots a game. Draymond Green gets to be himself because Steph's not dominating the basketball. KD comes in and they have a way to fit him into that motion offense. So nobody has to sacrifice their game. And in a lot of ways, the role players and the guys that, you know, might not have performed better in other uh, situations, they came in and became real contributors, even in their later years. A guy like Nick Young, you know, his time in the league was coming to an end. He was a pretty good contributor for Golden State because his job was simplified. It's, hey, you move, you set back picks, you slip screens, you look for Steph, and you keep moving. That's just how we play here. And it's a really beautiful system. And to me, the biggest thing, and I want to see this, and I want to see how it goes goes this season. I want to see what a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who's really his whole career, who has been kind of the complete opposite of what they preach in Golden State. You know, he loves the multi-dribble, isolation, tough mid-range jumpers. I want to see if Steph and Steve Kerr, this is like a project for them. I want to see if they can do it. Can they turn Andrew Wiggins into an efficient all-around basketball player? Can Andrew Wiggins put up his 20 a night efficiently, the right way, play defense, rebound, you know, be a secondary playmaker? Because if they do that, there's no question that, you know, this system is one of the best systems in the NBA because anyone can be thrown into it and succeed. So, um, I think that's what's made Steph the best point guard. I think that's what's made his plus minus, you know, crazy all these years is because anybody can fit in the system and thrive. And to me, that's why I can't even put a guy like Luca, who might be more talented individually straight up above him. That's why I got to make it more of a one, a one B, even though Steph is, you know, generously listed at, you know, what six, three, one eighty five. but he can change the game just off of, you know, his welcoming personality and, you know, his amazing talent. I feel like Steph's the only NBA player within the last 20 years. The only one that can be thrown onto any, any system, any team, he's going to ball out, ball out. And um, it doesn't take a whole team surrounding what they're doing. It doesn't take a whole system surrounding Steph Curry or surrounding one player just for it to work. Throw Luca on the Warriors. I don't know if he's going to be doing like they're they're going to have to reconfigure that whole system. He's not going to be running around setting off ball screens constantly, just trying to get other uh, people open. He's not going to be running around trying to get himself open the whole time. Same with like James Harden and Giannis. I don't know Giannis will work, but it's mostly ISO ball. Which um, within the last five or six years, the NBA kind of straight away. Now it's sort of going back to ISO ball, but um, the Warriors changed the game in that regard. But I feel like Steph can go on any team. He can play ISO ball if he wanted to. He'll drop still 30 points a game if he wanted. But the most efficient version of Steph Curry, getting that plus minus up, just being a very efficient player, is it's going to be best utilized in Golden State with that system. And that's why I think he has been and will be the best point guard in the league just because, like you said, that system just fits him perfectly. Running around, setting screens, getting screens set for him, just getting open constantly. And if you shoot 40, 40, 45% from three, you're going to be the best point guard in the league. Yeah, and, you know, that's what makes Golden State such an attractive place to play uh, for free agents. You know, KD, the the real reason KD went to Golden State wasn't just because they were a great team. It's because, you know, you project these things going forward. You know, as a basketball player, you say, you know, how am I going to fit within this system? You know, KD understood that he would sacrifice, but he also knew that his, you know, his skill set fit really well alongside a player like Steph because Steph is an active participant in an offense when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. In fact, I you could argue he's better when the ball's not in his hands. And you can't say that about many players. Um, 
to kind of touch on what you were talking about, how he's one of the rare players, you know, over the last 20 years um, that can fit anywhere. I think there are a few more players, but what I will say is he's probably the only one that can average 30 that can fit anywhere else because most guys that fit in most places are more, you know, Clay Thompson's Ray Allen's, you know, running off pin downs, catch and shoot three point shooters that are, you know, not MVP level players. Most guys, when they get to that MVP level status, um, you're constructing your entire offense around those guys. So I think if you look at the MVP level players in the NBA right now, the only player, and this is where I agree with you, he is the only player at that level that can join any one of the 30 franchises in the NBA, play alongside the entire nucleus that's already intact and not have to force them to change what they're doing. And, and that's why you see teams reluctant to trade for a guy like James Harden right now. He is the complete polar opposite of that. You know, he's standing around, he plays a lot of isolation basketball. He's harder to fit in. You know, he's very talented, but he's harder to fit into your system because now you got to explain to the other guys on the roster, by the way, we're adding a guy who averages 35, whose usage rate is above 40% and he's going to be calling all the shots here. And that's how it's going to go. You know, people don't, it doesn't flow with most people that way. So Steph, you know, he fits anywhere. He has all the talent in the world and he has the resume to back it up. So, you know, I can't really disagree with you. He is the best point guard in the NBA. Uh, a great example of this. Um, I understand he came from, in, uh, came off an of injury and this and that, but a great example of the, uh, from last season was uh, Paul George playing MVP basketball at OKC, literally in the MVP race, goes to the Clippers. He even came out and said he was playing me as Ray Allen. That's a great example of it. Any player in the league, if you're getting played as Ray Allen to be a spot-up shooter, usually will like it. But Paul George, an isolation player, can occasionally post up a high flyer being played as Ray Allen. It just doesn't work. And Steph Curry playing playing as Ray Allen is perfect. He's the best shooter ever. But um, that's just a great example because when, when you go from one team to another, you're completely changing systems. And when they don't change around you, you go from Paul George MVP to Paul George playoff P. So we don't really, we don't really understand. Like we don't really know what Steph would do on all 30 teams, but I think we can just assume he would be a great NBA player, no matter where he's at. Um, that's it for today's podcast. Uh, thank you for coming on again. Got my boy NMZ with me. Uh, it was a good one. So um, I'm going to do an outro. Uh, I'm out. That's it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Picking Pod. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure to subscribe. More podcasts coming soon. Thank you for making it to the end of the podcast. We're out. Peace.